And then at times I'm so weak from loving, I couldn't even carry a tune. Welcome everyone to Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited. My name is Corey Morissette, joined tonight by Scott Haskin. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing, well, I'm feeling weird, Corey. How are you feeling? Feeling weird too. And we're going to address the elephant in the room right off the hop, or I should say the elephant missing from the room. Not that I'm calling him an elephant, but uh, our good friend John Mariano uh, has decided to step away. Uh, from the Aerosmith show uh, to spend more time with his family. No, that that's just the stock answer everybody gives whenever somebody uh, steps away from something. But John is a very, very busy guy uh, with a very young family, and uh, he just found he didn't have the time uh, to dedicate to doing uh, two podcasts, uh, which I understand I'm doing, uh, geez, four now, uh, so I totally get that. But, uh, yeah, John has stepped away from this show. He's still going to carry on doing Backtracks theme music with myself. He loves his movie so, so much. But uh, he knew uh, I think he'd be leaving this show in good hands uh, with Scott Haskin coming on board. So, unfortunately, John won't be with us, although I am kind of holding out hope maybe we can get him on a, on a guest spot every now and again. That would be very nice. I, I'm glad he's still doing theme music. Uh, since we had three hosts on this show and we could continue it on with two, um, and you know, theme music only has two hosts, uh, I'm really glad that he decided to stay there because I do love that show. I'll, I'll miss him very much on this show, but uh, at least we'll be able to carry both shows forward. That's right. And uh, so with uh, John leaving, uh, there's going to be uh, a couple changes and uh, we're going to kind of go back to how we were doing things before Scott joined us in which uh, we're going to have one mixtape as opposed to two now. So no more live tracks, no more nasty cuts. We're just going to come up with the best 18 Aerosmith songs, not necessarily the best, but the best representation of the band in our opinion. So we're still going to keep side A as all of our favorite uh, deep cuts and side B will still be the all time Aerosmith top nine. Uh, so we're gonna have one mixtape and, and imagine you, you had a friend, never heard Aerosmith in their life and, and you're a big fan of the band we're, and you wanted to come up with like the 18 best tracks to encapsulate that band for them. That's what we're going to endeavor to do here. And it's going to be a little interesting because I'm a huge Aerosmith fan. I love this band. Uh, Scott, though, he, he kind of knows the, the hits and, and not even all the hits, just some of the hits. But he's very much a music guy. He's a composer. He's written songs. He's written recorded albums, soundtracks, you name it. He can provide kind of the musical uh, slant on things. And I can kind of hopefully give you folks uh, some background when I know it uh, of, of Aerosmith and kind of my experiences because I've heard all these songs a uh, hundred times over. So I'm um, I'm hoping that the uh, uh, the the Scott Corey dynamic uh, will keep things interesting for all you folks. I think we'll we'll be covering the spectrum. I mean, you've got the band side of things, I've got the musical side of things, and you've got the uh, experienced take, and I've got the fresh take. So uh, I think this will work out really well. Perfect. And uh, the movie's still not on the mixtape in honor of John Mariano. But <laughs> let's go through uh, what we currently have. And I'm going to have this uh, uh, on, on after the show drops. I'm, I'm going to put the, the mixtape graphic back up on our socials. Actually, Scott's going to be manning the Aerosmith socials for me from now on. So I'll hand them off to him and he can post it for you. But on the, uh, the deep cut side, uh, we currently have Rats in the Cellar, Moving Out, No More, No More, Girl Keeps Coming Apart, Bone to Bone, Seasons of Wither, I'm Down, Get the lead out and combination. So a pretty gosh darn good side A, if you ask me. Side B currently has let the music do the talking. Chip away the stone. The other side. You see me crying. Crazy. 
Eat the Rich, Mama Kin, Shut Up and Dance, and Deuces Are Wild. Uh, what do you think of the uh, the status uh, of the mixtape right now, Mr. Haskin? Uh, I think it's a, I think it's an incredible selection. I think the problem, you know, as I've said before, is that how do you how do you pick something that knocks one of these out because they're all great songs? Yeah. So again, you have to kind of think what's what best encapsulates Aerosmith. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so you got to think. You know, you don't want to make it too album heavy. You want to balance the ballads with the covers, with, with the originals, with the rockers, and all that kind of stuff. So we've got quite the task ahead of us. Uh, I'm a little happier that we're ditching the live tracks uh, because Aerosmith is a pretty good live band, if you ask me. I don't know if they've had a great live re- band recording. I know mm-hmm. Classics Live 1 and 2 are pretty good. Live Bootleg certainly has its moments. But anything newer, uh, it really kind of been hit and miss uh, in terms of live tracks. So I wasn't sad to, to see the live tracks uh, mixtape go. Yeah, I agree. And plus, you know, how many episodes do we need to cover the same songs? I, I learned doing the Uriah Heat podcast, I had some songs that I covered four and five times based on, you know, there were some, uh, you know, the original recording, then I did some with a guest. So I redid those by myself. Then there were two albums where they went and re-recorded in the studio their own songs, another 39 tracks, and some of those were duplicated. So the most that I covered a song was five times. You know, how much is going to be different from one version to another that really needs attention? Uh, plus, I think, you know, by the time that you get to the the next live version, six months after you've done the first one, the other one's not fresh in your head. You can't really compare them. Um, I like hearing the live stuff. I'll probably pursue a little bit more of that on my own, just, just to hear different things from the band. But uh, yeah, the recordings, some of them aren't that great. And then it's just hit and miss on the performance. So um, I'm happier to just go back to the studio stuff. Me too. So uh, before we get into the business uh, of our diet and all that kind of stuff, uh, let's talk about our sponsor, of course, Ken Knapsack's Pop Rockin' Radio. Ken Knapsack's Pop Rockin' Radio, the big hits, album cuts, and B-sides from the rock and pop world that make up the soundtracks of our lives. Look for live shows and make requests, sing, dance, and celebrate the music with the Pop Rockin' Radio community. Just download that Mixcloud app and uh, subscribe to Pop Rockin' Radio. Uh, You're going to have a great time whenever DJ Ken gets on there. And as always, Mr. Haskin is going to let us all know about the Deep Dive Podcasting Network. All right, everybody just sit back for a second because... There's a lot to discuss here, the the ever, ever growing network. Uh, well, first of all, of course, you and I do the show Backtracks, Aerosmith Revisited. You do our show or your show with our friend John, our long lost friend after only one episode already, uh, Backtracks Theme Music. You also do a show with Mark Kamire called And the Podcast Will Rock. I have Uriah Heap, the Magician's Podcast, which if I may boast for just a second, Corey, Please. Hit 100,000 downloads this month. Oh, that's I'm very amazing. excited about that. Yeah. Very happy for you. I couldn't believe it. Good Thank job. Thank you. Uh, then, of course, our buddies Nate and John over at the Deep Purple podcast, The Simple Man at Skinnered Reconsidered, Terry T Bone Mathley at T Bone's Prime Cuts on the other side, Rye at Sabbath Bloody podcast, Paul, Joe, and David at the In the Lap of the Pod show. We have Andy and Matt at Hawk Binge, who have a similar setup to what we have now. Uh, one of them is very knowledgeable about Hawk, Hawk Wind, and the other one is a first time listener. So that's uh, pretty cool. We have Eric and Jonathan at Maiden A to Z, Daniel and Josh at Diary of the Mad Men, the ultimate Aussie podcast, Ben and Sam at Universally Speaking, the Red Hot Chili Peppers podcast. Of course, our dear friends George and Hattie at the Judas Priest cast, Clay and Rye at North by South podcast, Greg and Jonathan at So Far, So Pod, So What, 
Kevin at the Tom Petty Project, Kevin and Randy at the Seaside Pod Review, Quinn at And Volume For All, and then of course, Nick, Sav, Steve, and Mark at the Rock Roulette Podcast, Chaz and Greg at Regarding Lulu, and outside of the Deep Dive Podcast Network, but still good friends of us, Sean Geek and Fast Fret, and Eric at Booked on Rock. Uh, God, if you... If you have nothing to do with your life, you could listen to all these shows, but, uh, you know, pick pick some that, uh, you know, I I think people tend to pick bands that they know and want to learn about. And that's cool. I totally get that. I do that. But maybe pick one that you don't know. You might find a band that, that you just fall in love with. Exactly. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And uh, there may be one more coming down the pike to add to that list. I know Kevin Brown and I are launching a new show uh, in next week actually as we record this it's a week from tomorrow as we record this scott called Mm -hmm. the ultimate catalog clash what we're doing is we're going to take a band's catalog and we have a ranking system we're going to every episode is going to be the side of a record from the band's catalog and uh, we're going to rank it and we're going to come up with the ultimate uh, winner in the band's discography and our first uh, group i'm happy to announce here is a genesis not just genesis though but phil collins era genesis Mm -hmm. so we're just going from a trick of the tail all the way up to we can't dance uh we're about halfway through recording those now it's been a ton of fun a lot of surprises i didn't know a lot of uh, the early phil collins stuff like to me the band started with the self-titled album in 83 so i didn't know abacab or uh a trick of the tail or and then there were three or albums like that so kind of eye-opening for me uh but uh, i've been having a lot of fun with the show kevin of course is great and we can't wait to drop that for you next week i am very excited about that and you picked a really interesting band because even just during the phil collins era they had such a variety from really progressive stuff down to really commercial stuff and everything in between uh they've got jazz rock fusion i mean they're theatrical uh really fascinating band I started with them uh, with Abacab because that was the early MTV generation and the song Abacab and No Reply at All had come out um, and, and kind of set them aside. But re-listened to Abacab recently and man, they, they are a fantastic band. That's the uh, we're doing side A of Abacab uh, tonight. After I'm done recording with you, Scott, I hop on a Ooh. call with Kevin and we're doing side A of Abacab. So I'm very much Fun. looking forward to that. But before yeah. I get there, we got a little business to take care of here. And that's Aerosmith, the bad boys from Boston. So we still have our dice. Uh, yes. We still have our selections on the dice. And because we love John so much, we're keeping his two selections on the dice as well, uh, which where we all fall down and out of your head. They're going to stay on the dice here for us. But we also had two live tracks on there, but we're not doing live tracks anymore. So we have to replace those so i tasked scott with coming up with one and i'm going to come up with one so we originally had draw the line from classics live 2 on there uh, we're taking that off no more live tracks and but i'm going to put a song from the album draw the line on there uh that we haven't covered yet and that's sight for sore eyes so Ooh. adding that on because that one's interested uh co-written by steven tyler joe perry jack douglas and david johansson of the new york dolls so that now goes on the die and scott haskin it's your turn now to to take off let the music do the talking from classics live Two, what song from uh, aerosmith's discography would you like to put on there you know uh this is going to be kind of just a, a random guest for me for the most part going forward uh so i thought what's a title that really stands out to me that i would love to hear and i am dying to hear a song called the farm from nine lives all right the farm from nine lives now on the dice perfect so let's recap those six songs for you folks right here on the dice tonight. We have Sight for Sore Eyes, Home Tonight, We All Fall Down, Out of Your Head, 
Roadrunner, and The Farm. Is there anything in particular out of those six that you'd like to hear tonight, Scott? You know, I, I think Home Tonight sounds good. Okay. You know, I think that was one of John's, right? So I, I'm going to I'm gonna go with that one, too. Let's try a double manifestation here tonight. Let's try and come up with Home Tonight. All right, Mr. Haskin, are you ready? I am. I'm really excited to, to pick a song and, and do another episode. Me, too. Let's roll this dice and see what we get. Toss of the... And we are going to come up with Sight for Sore Eyes. So it's the song I put on there tonight. Nice. We actually roll. This is a, a track uh, that comes off the album Draw the Line. Uh, I know you're not real familiar with this one. It was released all the way back in 1977. Like I said, written by Steven Tyler, Joe Perry, Jack Douglas, and David Johansson of the uh, New York Dolls, which is a big, big influence on Aerosmith uh, as they were uh, rolling. So uh, kind of, you know, they got to co-write a song with them and... Uh, can't wait to check this one out tonight. I'm imagining this is a first-time listen for you. It is. And as I'm looking at the list for this album, this has been a pretty hit-and-miss album for me so far. So I'm I'm curious where I'm going to fall on this one. But you know, Corey, you came on my show, the Haskincast podcast, and while this hasn't aired yet, uh, we talked about an album. But I think we learned something really important about each other while we were recording that. And that is that you really like songs that you can just kind of kick back and enjoy. And I like songs that are a little more things that I need to dissect and, and things that are a little bit maybe more progressive, like Emerson, Lake and Palmer. And you're you're a little bit more straightforward rock and roll blues. That's very true. So I'm not going to tip my hand or I'm not going to say anything about the song to, to kind of let you know what you're in for here. Mm -hmm. uh, but let's get right into it. This is from 1977, Sight for Sore Eyes. All right, right off the bat, I'm just going to say I really like this groove. It, it really uh, feels kind of Led Zeppelin-ish, doesn't it? It really does. Uh, band's really cooking on this one, I thought, uh, in a great uh, great way. Uh, this is the second to last song on the album, which usually the, the band like put kind of the, the filler track, uh, the, the one that didn't quite work. I always kind of question this spot uh, on in the sequence uh, for Sight Force Our Rise because it is just such a killer groove. Yeah, and, and I love the heaviness. The low end is just huge on this song. And like I think I mentioned other shows, a, a, a tough album for the band. They were pretty strung out at this time uh, to the point where they weren't even recording together half the time. Joe Perry, uh, they did a song without him. He was just passed out and wow. didn't even yeah. really play on it. So, uh, uh, but, but this one here, I think everybody's on. Uh, they, they got to do a, a song uh, with David Johansson, which is a big kick for them. And uh, yeah, it starts off great. Yep. All right, you, you looked a little concerned there, Scott. 
Yeah. Um, well, I'm wondering because we we not only I mean, we've changed everything around on this episode, right? We're using even a different system to record with. And this is our first time doing that. I'm wondering, um, I'm getting a huge amount of low end and not a lot of Steven Tyler. And I'm wondering, is it our system or is that the recording? Because Steven's like way buried in the bass and guitars on this. I mean, I know on, on the squeals and stuff, he's really low, kind of kind yeah. of back in the mix quite a bit. Mm hmm. He's, he's definitely a lot more out front uh, in the verses. Yeah. I mean, it's not bad. I can hear him, but it's just, it, it's not the balance that I'm used to from them. Mm -hmm. uh, lyrically, what have we got? Yeah. Going downtown, going down, going down, beneath the city, eating ground round underneath is pretty gritty. I turned the screw, she held the light. That's when I knew she was a sight for sore eyes. Sounds I, cool. It, that is a Steven Tyler lyric, if there ever was one. <laughs> he's He's got a certain cadence about the way that he rhymes a lot of times. And mm -hmm. in, in some ways, you know, when I read his lyrics, they're kind of nonsensical. It's like I just threw words together that worked in, in a rhythmic state. Uh, but when you really dig into what he's saying, they're actually kind of intelligent. It's just they just come across as more designed for rhythm than almost like rap has done. Yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, I thought uh, you used a good effect here. Mm -hmm. uh, going downtown, going down, going down, need the city eating ground round. Like that, that's just a cool sounding line. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it, but it's also very visual too. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, right, I'm picturing like like dark, wet streets at night and the smoke coming through the uh, the vent covers, and you know, just like walking into the meat shop. And yeah, I don't know. I spend a lot of time alone, Corey. <laughs> it's like they came out of the film Streets of Fire uh, with, with yeah, this song. Right. <laughs> Turn it in style, walk a mile for your titty. Now, there's another uh, Stephen Tyler lyric if I ever did hear one. Well, clearly he didn't come to Vegas because you don't have to go that far. Yeah, uh, a mile? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's a long way to go. Um, you know, the other, the, the baseline of this kind of reminds me of like a faster version of David Bowie's fame. Okay, yeah. No, I got that. Yeah, but I love the heaviness of the bass. I love the sound they're getting on this song. Uh, Steven sounds really good, too. They sound in really good form considering where they were at. Oh, 100%. This is one of the better sounding tracks uh, on Draw the Line. Really kind of a, uh, a kind of a forgotten gem, I think, in the discography is the album Draw the Line. A lot of people just kind of discount it because, you know, there, there's some stuff on it that definitely doesn't work, but there's some real gems uh, on Draw the Line. And like I said, uh, the band is cooking here. And Steven, even with the growls like in the background on, on the chorus, mm -hmm. just giving us his little Steve-isms, uh, sound phenomenal. And I don't mind that they're a little back in the mix for those because yeah. it kind of puts the, you know, the band front and he's just kind of acts accenting everything in the back and it, it sounds pretty deadly yeah i would like a little more of the lead vocal but those those yeah. other sounds i think those are balanced very well because you you just you almost want to be able to feel them more than you hear them yeah and it, it's kind of weird how that uh, the chorus is structured because uh, he's obviously kind of doubled his own vocal but it's mm -hmm. it's not synced right yeah. it, it sounds like two people in a room uh mm -hmm. just kind of throwing it together and it's it's you know, and, and for like a, a, you know, a bar band from Boston, you kind of expect that. Like if Joe was singing uh, back up on this, right? But I'm pretty sure that's Steven just kind of doubling his own and they're 
but it sounds like two Stevens, if that makes sense. It does because he's not uh, he's not right on the beat with himself. You know, he's yeah. almost he's almost being like call and response in a way. In a way, yeah, yeah. All right, let's keep her going. I just uh, those drums sound so great. Like even on that hi hat, like, like you could almost hear him on the pedal. Like it's so crisp yeah. and, and clean. It was so cool. And he is such a metronome. You know, he's just mm-hmm. laying that groove almost like. Uh, it, I think of how how good and tight of a drummer Jeff Picaro from Toto was, and and why he got to play with Michael Jackson. I mean, that's that's him on Beat It, and there's a reason in Thriller and um, uh, uh, Billie Jean. And this is kind of like that Billie Jean beat. It's just really nice and straightforward. There's there's more action. There's fills and stuff, but uh, just really nice, tight, solid playing. I love the guitars, those little fill-ins. But this last section was great because they left room. They left space. It wasn't about just filling in every little bit. It was it, it gave the song some breathing room, and I really liked that. Oh, absolutely. And we, we talked about uh, where the band was at this time. You know, Stephen... Uh, had said, you know, uh, he's not writing poetry. He's writing exactly to the music when the music ain't coming, neither the lyrics, uh, mm-hmm. when people were kind of criticizing his lyrics. And, of course, Joe Perry lost some demos uh, in a cookie tin uh, at, at one point. And, uh, you know, Joey was, was talking about, uh, uh, or like, what did Joe Doug- Jack Douglas say? Uh, people were shooting, bullets were flying. It was insane. People, drugs, and guns. You know they don't go together. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and jo- uh, what did Joey Kramer say? Uh, I don't know if we did any of those sessions or made any of that record straight. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, it's. I, I guess you can get um, you can get used to doing things under the influence, but I would think that your capacity would be diminished. Like if you if you're on stage and you're drunk, you you're not hearing intonation properly. I mean, it, that affects your ability to hear sound. So you you can't possibly perform unless it's just muscle memory. You know, unless you're you're working off of not really knowing what you're doing and doing it anyway, something is going to suffer any any time that you you put an influence over your mind. Um, but whatever the the case was, this song sounds kick ass. Working pretty well. Let's keep it going. Man, is Tom killing it on the bass there? Yeah, he is. I'm not sure about that guitar solo though. It sounded a little. It sounded like Joe was a little fucked up, didn't he? Like it was a little disjointed, and it, it didn't quite have that natural rhythm that Joe Perry solos usually have. It was just kind of, kind of choppy. Yeah, it was. It was choppy. It had a little squeak in there. It was almost like, here's the idea, guys. What do you think? I need to polish this up if we're going to record. It sounded like a rehearsal take. Yeah, but uh, I, I kind of drifted away from Joe, and I was listening to Tom. 
Because yeah, he was well, wailing on that bass, man. He was killing it. <laughs> he's, he's definitely dominating this song, no doubt about it. But but I love this. I, I love this 70s feel. What year was this? 77. 77. Okay, so that yeah. the, the style of music certainly fits in with what was going on with bands like the Bee Gees and, you know, David Bowie and stuff. So that, yeah. that makes sense. Okay, that guitar playing was much better. Yes, uh, I was gonna. I was wondering if you were gonna stop there and say that because I thought, oh, that's night and day uh, yeah. from, from the first section. Right. Yeah. It, it's almost like he came back and re-recorded that part, and the yeah. other one, they're like, oh yeah, we forgot to have you redo that. It always makes me wonder if that's Brad. But uh, oh. I'm I'm looking kind of on the sheet and it's like Brad played rhythm on everything, but he played lead on Kings and Queens. I want to know why the hand that feeds and the first solo on Milk Cow Blues. It doesn't say anything about Sight for Sore Eyes, but that would make sense if that was him, actually. Well, we're also assuming that that's correct. Uh, we're, we're talking yeah. about a bunch of people that were high out of their minds and we're going to expect that they kept track of who did what. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of asking a lot, you know, so it wouldn't surprise me if there is a little maybe uh, variance there. You know, what? and I can't I won't be able to find a live performance. I don't think of this because they only performed it in 1978. Uh, they only played Sight for Sore Eyes 28 times. Wow. That's a shame. Was out such, this is a, a great stage song. This is great to get people moving and and shaking. This would have been like if they went on. um Oh, what was that show like Soul Train or it might be a little bit too rocky for Soul Train, but that bass groove that would work perfectly on one of those old dance shows. Uh, in, in the set back then uh, on the live bootleg tour, uh, it came right after I Want to Know Why. Mm. So another draw the line song there. That was just at the Boston Garden. Let's see if I can find another set list here because that night they only did nine songs. Uh, there were oh, some wow. nights where Stephen would collapse and the show wow. would get, you know, cut short. Yeah. Uh, here, here's a full one from Detroit. Uh, Toys in the Attic, SOS, Mama Kin, I Want to Know Why, Big 10-inch Record, and then Sight for Sore Eyes, and then Licking a Promise. So kind of early in the set, a nice groove, yeah. I think, maybe, a, especially coming off a Big 10-inch Record, uh, you kind of want to get into a nice kind of kind of big groove like that. So that, that would have been a good place yeah. for it. I'm kind of shocked they haven't done it since. Yeah, Hopefully I, on the on the uh, farewell tour. Maybe, yeah. Have, have you seen set lists or proposed set lists for the tour? I have not, no. Um, I'm hoping that they're a little more adventurous than what Aerosmith has been trotting out for the last decade or so. Basically, just a great hit set list. Uh, they they yeah. do usually have one or two swing songs, mm -hmm. uh, but nothing usually too deep in the catalog, right? Like, they haven't done this one since 78. And uh, it wasn't a single or anything, but it, it's a good deep cut off of a, a kind of a forgotten album that, that has some gems on it. So I, I wouldn't mind seeing it brought back. I, I would like to think that they're going to maybe do some spontaneous stuff just in the middle of a song, go into some old thing that'll that'll make the fans smile and then maybe go back into like go from big 10 inch into this and then come back to big 10 inch and finish the song. I, I hope that cool. they're doing some fun stuff like that for their last tour. I would hope so, because like and and. and... For, for fans who like follow the band on tour and stuff, they're getting sick to death uh, of, of kind of the current set list. Like Joe yeah. is doing the same song every single show, every single tour. And it's just, it, it's grating. Like you you have good, you do Bright Light Fright one night. Do yeah. Combination again. Like fuck, like just mix it up a little. 
Yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm going to be curious to see what they do after, too. Like, once the tour is done, are they going to start doing rock and roll fantasy camps? Are they going to just go solo? You know, I'm curious to see where they're all going to fall. Yeah, I would imagine uh, Joe, I, I think he's going to die on stage somewhere. I don't think he's stopping anything, but he's got yeah. uh, his solo project. He's got the Hollywood Vampires, uh, so right, he can yeah. keep going. Uh, Steven had the one solo record. Uh, you know, who's to say he could do a second one? And, uh, you know, Brad Whitford uh, released another album with Whitford St. Holmes. Uh, they all kind of have, have options. I, w- I would like to see him still active doing whatever they love to do. Yeah. All right. We got just about a minute left. Let's finish. Let's do off. it. I'm sorry, I was going to try and make it to the end of the song, but I really wanted to point out how the bass guitar has changed in this section here. It's playing a, a different feel, and I really like that change. I tell you, Tom Hamilton, uh, secret weapon uh, of Aerosmith, right? If that's one thing uh, in the 20 or 30-some shows you've done, Scott, uh, have you learned or gotten a new appreciation for the work of Mr. Tom Hamilton? Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't think there's a single song or maybe one or two at the most where I haven't said, God, I love the bass on the song. Mm -hmm. Or even if I didn't like the song, but that bass guitar is really smoking. (laughs) You know, it seems (laughs) like I've always mentioned it. Well, in that one solo part, he, like he was you know, hitting it so hard, it had this cool distortion on it, too. I don't even know if that was effect. I think he was just banging the strings that hard. It could be. And maybe that's why the guitar solo is like just I, I can't even compete with that. I got to play something here, but there's no point. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to throw some notes in. I'll, I'll take the second solo and do a good job. Tom's right, yeah. killing it. I can't compete. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. the end there steven gotta have a nice extended outro on that one sight for sore eyes from draw the line scott what are your final thoughts well was it just me Corey, or did the drums seem to start fading out after everyone else did that last fill that came in uh, just as the fade was starting was a little bit loud but i dug i really love the backing uh vocals too during that whole last minute um I, I had expected that this section was going to drag on a little bit, looking at how much time we had, and they were just kind of repeating, but I actually enjoyed it to the very end. Oh, I agree totally. Uh, and uh, this song uh, was currently on our live tracks when we had the two uh, mixtapes, uh, so we enjoyed it enough uh, from Live Bootleg to put it on the live tracks. This is the Draw the Line version. Uh, so if it's if it's going on a mixtape, it's going on side A, uh, the deep cut side. Uh, which is rats in the cellar moving out no more no more girl keeps coming apart bone to bone seasons of wither i'm down get the lead out and combination so the question becomes mr haskin should sight for sore eyes replace any of those songs wow uh this is this is tough i will say i'm looking at uh our old live track list uh that's old as far as one episode and uh i actually was not a huge fan of the live version of this song so that's oh. interesting that I love the studio version. 
I'm I'm going to pitch an idea to you and see what okay. you think. Uh, I think it's better than moving out. Yeah, I'm, I don't know if it's better than moving out. Uh, Move it out uh, historically has a lot of significance. It's mm-hmm. the first song Joe Perry and Steven Tyler ever wrote. Mm. And uh, to me, I, I think, geez, I don't know. I, I was thinking Get the Let Out, if I, if we are going to replace it with anything. What was your color grade on Get the Let Out? That was just a couple, uh, that was a few shows ago. 66, we did that one. Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it's light green, so not an an absolute favorite. But um, yeah, I I could uh, I, this one's dark green, so I I would say definitely uh, it's it's a track that makes me happier. Okay, so I I would be okay with that. I I'm, I'm sure at some point we're gonna have to take moving out off. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. I'm not delusional enough to think it's gonna stay on there forever. I'd kind of like it to because it's a personal favorite, and yeah. uh, it's it's such a great concert song for them too. But um, I would I would rather see it leave for something a little more iconic, like like you know this is a great blues groove and they're killing it. It absolutely yeah. deserves a spot on there, especially for right now. Mm-hmm. But I, I'd like to keep moving on moving out on there just a little bit longer if at all possible. Okay. Sure. All right. So we have decided to take get the lead out and put on sight for sore eyes. Uh, it's actually coming. Was, uh, our first fight was not really a fight. <laughs> it wasn't really a fight at all. It's kind of funny. It comes right before a combination, which is another track from uh, Draw the Line. So there you have it. Sight for sore eyes makes its way onto side A, the deep cuts. How long does it stay? We don't know, but it means I have to replace the song on the mixtape. And I'm looking around, and you know what? We haven't done a lot of songs from Rock in a Hard Place. It's probably my least listened to Aerosmith record, aside from maybe uh, Just Push Play. So uh, I'm going back to that one. I'm going to go to a song that was written by Steven Tyler and Jimmy Crespo called Jig Is Up. So we're going to take off Sight for Sore Eyes, and we're putting on Jig Is Up. And right offhand, I... I couldn't hum it to you with a gun to my head right now. I, I I don't recall this song at all. I know it's on side two. It's actually the second to last song on side two of Rock in a Hard Place. So again, that's kind of the slot where a band would put, you know, you know, let, let's just bury this on here. So we'll see how we think it jig is up when it comes up. But see, and, and that's such a poor decision to do that uh, on an album because really the last couple songs the last one, especially when it ends, it should make you want to put the album back on, like to yeah. just flip it back over and go back to side A. Um, I'm speaking in vinyl, of course, but uh, it's it's a weird thing. Like you, you kind of want your throwaway tracks, maybe second to the last song on the first side, in the middle of the second side somewhere. Uh, but yeah, definitely not at the end. Yeah, and it maybe it's just me, but it always seems like the worst song uh, is in that like nine slot like the second mm-hmm. last song on b usually the second last song on a isn't that great either which on yeah. this album is a song called bolivian ragamuffin which if you're looking for an interesting name to put on the dice someday <laughs> scott bolivian ragamuffin there you go that that does sound like something i'll pick <laughs> <laughs> all right before we call it a night scott asking maybe let's uh, let the folks know where they can find you and what you got coming up Sure. Uh, well, this uh, this next couple months are kind of crazy as I'm moving podcast distributors. So I'm I'm sort of carefully placing episode by episode and update to a new link. Uh, I'm almost done moving Uriah Heap, the Magician's podcast. And then uh, by by next episode, that should be done. And then in August, I'll be moving the Haskin cast podcast. So uh, right now, all the projects and everything are kind of on hold while I work on that. Uh, except for the audiobook version for the Universal Court 2, I found a, a new reader and they are working on that now. Oh, excellent. Can't wait for that. Thank you. 
How about you? And uh, for my, oh, geez, uh, I do a few other podcasts. Uh, and the podcast will rock with Mark Kameyer talking everything Van Halen. I also do Backtrack Steam Music with the legendary John Mariano talking all of our favorite music for movies. And a little show called The Ultimate Catalog Clash with uh, the also legendary Kevin Brown, where this season we're breaking down Phil Collins' Genesis. What band are we doing in season two? Well, that depends on who correctly guesses which album gets the highest grade from season one. Uh, Scott Haskett is actually our independent uh, judge uh, on that one. So uh, he knows what each of us picked. We don't know. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, who gets to pick the band for season two. I'm trying to decide if I like Kevin or if I don't like Kevin. If I don't like Kevin, I'll pick Nickelback. If I like Kevin, I might go like ZZ Top or something. Kevin's kind of hard not to like, though. I know. That's the problem. But he, you know, he really loves the proggy shit from Genesis. And I don't know if I right. like the proggy shit from Genesis. So mm-hmm. if he ticks me off and I win... Uh, we, we may be doing Nickelback. I don't know. There you go. To find out, listen to the Ultimate Catalog Clash. And please join us next time on uh, Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited. On behalf of Scott Haskin, my name is Corey Morissette. Thank you very much for listening. And as always, let's give the final word to Steven Tyler. <laughs>